and welcome on into this week's edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, joined as always by my Pipeline compadres, Jim Cowell, Jonathan Mayo. Jim and Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's like I th- I'll speak for probably both of us here, but it seems like the first time in a long time, like maybe it might even be going back to last December before we really dove in on the top 100, that it doesn't feel like we have a major project or two looming over us. So it, it feels very good. Jonathan, do you have a similar sense of, of relief at the moment? Uh, yeah, there, there, there's definitely the, the ability to, to breathe, uh, which is, which is nice. And you, know, you sit back and, and actually just watch some baseball and, and enjoy that without that, that sort of pressure that Jim alluded to that, well, that this is the, the thing that needs to get done. So, um, uh, this will be a breezy podcast edition. Uh, wow. All right. Well, good. Well, don't now, now the pressure's on us to, to make it a little bit easier, but uh, we got a lot lined up for this uh, episode. At the very end of the show, you'll be hearing a wonderful interview that Jonathan did with Cardinals prospect Dylan Carlson um, uh, last week, where fortunately Mr. Carlson was not traded. So we didn't have to totally scrap that log of conversation there. So you'll hear that at the end, but first we have to get your guys thought on the, the updated top 100, the updated top thirties, which came out last weekend. And of course we have to review some of the top prospect names dealt at the deadline because there were a bunch literally in the last like five minutes uh, that happened. So we're going to be uh, covering a bunch of those, but let's begin with the new top 100 and the new top 30 lists. And uh, Jim, you did great, a great breakdown of the updated uh, top 100 list. And then, you know, the newest, the biggest risers, uh, some of the biggest players. Of course, we have the new uh, draft, uh, the, the, the highest ranked draft players added to the list. Uh, so let's start with some of the biggest risers. Um, Nate Pearson, Gavin Lux, uh, some big spots, Drew, Drew Waters with the Braves, Nico Horner with the Cubs. Who is one name that if you saw this at the beginning of the season thought, wow, that guy really made a bigger jump than I was anticipating? Huh, that's a good question because, you know, the guys who made big jumps are all talented guys. I mean, they were all on the list to begin the season. Like, you know, Nate Pearson, I, I think I'm kind of colored by the fact that, um, you know, he had the weird outing in the fall league that I didn't see where he gave up eight runs in an inning. Um, and so, I, like, I always kind of have that in the back of my mind. But I had one, uh, I had one scout, you know, tell me that he, that he personally in his organization thought – Nate Pearson was the best pitching prospect in baseball. And, you know, we, Gavin Lux and Drew Waters and, and the other guys you mentioned, you know, Luis Robert, you know, it was like kind of in the middle of that list. We, we knew all those guys were talented. I, I guess I will change your question. Is that okay, Jordan? Can I change your question slightly? Go for it. If I was looking at it from a standpoint of a guy who I, I'm surprised how high he ranks – that would have shot, surprised me coming into the year. It would be a guy who jumped from off the list, and it would probably be Grayson Rodriguez from the Orioles. Not that we didn't know he was talented, but if you told me, like I always thought of him as a stuff guy, he kind of burst onto the prospect, the high school prospect scene relatively late. Um, you know, I thought he was a, a stuff over polished guy who would need some time to develop. And if you told me he'd be number 47 on our midseason top 100, um, and I didn't calculate where that put him among 2018 draft picks, but it's pretty high. That's probably the one that would have surprised me the most. Jonathan, is there one name that jumps out to you? I guess maybe someone that jumped on the list, uh, as Jim mentioned. I think you should have told him no, by the way, that he's not allowed to reframe the question. Yeah, you think it should be more, more strict? Um, one guy that jumps out. Well, you know, I'll stay close to home just because I still think O'Neill Cruz is the most fascinating prospect 
in all of baseball just because he's 19 feet tall and still plays shortstop. Um, you know, I don't think it's that big of a surprise that he's taken the leap forward. He just got promoted to double A uh, and he's still just figuring things out. I have no idea if he will continue to play shortstop. Uh, there are no plans to move him. He's been doing a very good job. He's been getting better, but no one's ever seen a shortstop that size before. So I, I think he's the guy that I just continue to watch with, with fascination. Um, I'm hoping that maybe he gets sent to the fall league. So we get to, to watch him uh, sort of on a more regular basis than what we've been able to do so far, which has really only been from afar. Right, and I believe I uh, just saw that he got promoted uh, to double a. So the people, the good people of Altoona will be able to enjoy the bizarre experience that is O'Neill Cruz uh, very soon. Uh, in terms of the guys that you added uh, that, that were recently drafted this past June, was there one? Uh, of course, you already had your, your draft rankings coming into the season uh, or coming into the, 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 the re-rank. Um, but was there one guy that you kind of struggled to to place in the context of the other pro prospects that we've seen with more of a pro track record, Jim, that, that you couldn't figure quite well, maybe put him in the top 50 if he's more back half of the top 100? Is there one draft guy that ended up on the list that, that fits that qualification? No, because, I mean, again, I think when we're doing the draft, guys, I mean, you know, it's funny. We always get questions like, how can you rank player X who hasn't played? Or, And it's like, well, we're projecting their long-term value, which is what we had to do as part of our draft coverage. I, I think it was more interesting to me. Like, it's, a lot of times I'll get asked, it's a similar question to when people ask you, how good is this farm system? And until you do the rankings, it's hard to know until you start lining them up. And we got a ton of questions. Like, I mean, I think, Jonathan, we could have an inbox in the pipeline inbox every week done, where will Adley Rutschman rank on the top 100? Where will Bobby Wood Jr. rank? I mean, I, I got those questions seemingly every week about, you know, a ton of these um draft guys so it was it was kind of interesting to see where they would line up i mean i, I felt like adley rutschman would wind up in the top 10 and, and when i sat down and and plotted it out i think jonathan and mike rosenbaum and i all ranked adley rutschman at number six like i think our we had the same top six guys in the same order at the top of the the top 100 i wouldn't necessarily have thought until i started to sit down and line them up you know i i guess the one maybe jordan would be bobby witt jr who I know I'm all in on Bobby Wood Jr. And I, I wrote a story and I said, you know, it looks like he's the best shortstop prospect since A-Rod. And, you know, the age police came after me for that one. Uh, but I survived. Um, and But when I was ranking, when, when I was sitting there, you know, looking at Bobby Witt Jr. versus infielders, I was like, you know what? I, I like this guy better than Brendan Rodgers. I, I like this guy better than... I think I had him ahead of Bo Bichette, you know, like, like I, so he wound up even higher than I thought he would be. And even Andrew Vaughn, who we knew was good. I don't know, Jonathan, did you think Bobby Wood Jr. was going to wind up at nine or Andrew Vaughn at 23 before you started lining guys up? No, no. I mean, it's, uh, and I did answer a top 100, uh, uh, an inbox question about like, you know, guessing where they would go. And I, and I think I was overly conservative. Um, I think the only other question that we got more of was the, uh, extremely and exceedingly annoying. When are the re-ranks going to be up? <laughs> and we would get like 15 of those. I, I even made it the introduction to an inbox. I did the same. Um, so it's just uh, people don't don't read. Um, I, I you know, but it does stand out to me, and I don't think we've ever had two new draftees ranked this highly out of the gate ever since since we've been doing this together. Um, I'd have to go back and double check, but I don't remember putting two draft guys in the top 10. Do you? 
I, I don't even remember my years at Baseball America. Like, we didn't do a midseason list back then. Like, we only did it once a year. Like, I'm thinking that maybe the year, and we're talking about 2001, where Mark Pryor and Mark Teixeira were drafted, you know, and Joe Maurer was as well, that maybe then. But no, I think that's unusual. Plus, you know, for the first time, we, we put an international, a recent, you know, July 2 signing on the list immediately as well. So it's, and I don't think, I mean, I think anybody who knows us, neither of us has been about, Hey, look at us. We're going to go nuts on a guy to draw attention to ourselves or our rankings. It was just reflecting the, the, the talent that was out there. Yeah, and, and, you know, and Andrew Vaughn is an interesting one because we always thought he could hit. And, uh, and that's, and that's what that ranking was about. It, you know, I think in the past that sort of <clears throat> top college bat guy hasn't ranked as highly, but, this is how much we believe in his bat. And it also, I think, is reflective of what the overall top 100, you know, looks like right now. And then he's gone out and just raked uh, and sort of been the guy that we thought he'd be. Um, and he may finish he may finish the year in double A. Like for all I know, he's, you know, he, uh, he, he homered in his first game in the Carolina League. So, uh, you know, the fact that he was sort of billed as this advanced bat who can move very quickly, he's already living up to that expectation. And you touched on something real quickly there, Jonathan. That's also a good point, too. I think some of the reason that these guys rank a little higher than maybe we did in the past, one, I mean, this was an exceptional draft class at the top where you've won the best catching prospects in draft history, won the best shortstop prospects in draft history, and won the most accomplished college hitters in recent history. But also, this was a year where I feel like we've had more players graduate off the top of the list than a typical year. I mean, I know our top four guys coming into the year all graduated, and several others did as well. So I think that also afforded, you know, some of these new guys the chance for more upward mobility than they than they might have had in past years. Yeah, I think that is a definitely good uh, working theory. You bring up Bobby Wood Jr., and you mentioned he ended up at nine, uh, along with a couple other, a few other shortstops, uh, Royce Lewis at seven, Bo Bichette at eight, who just got his big league call up, and Gavin Lux at ten. I want to ask about Gavin Lux. He's one of the biggest risers uh, in the in the midseason re rank. He's currently in AAA, hitting 450 in his first 25 games. Uh, we saw him at the Futures game. He looked great there. Is this is this the kind of offensive prospect that we ever could have imagined Gavin Lux being, even of course with the AAA with the, the inflated numbers? But is is this has he already surpassed his offensive ceiling, would we say? Jim, go ahead. I just I had him as a draft guy and I, and I do our Dodgers system. And you know, the thing to remember is you know, he really struggled in the first half of his first full season. I mean, he was always seen as this guy who could hit and I, I think he's showing more power than we thought. I think we always thought he'd be a high average guy. I will say uh, our usual disclaimer, like you said, Jordan, AAA numbers, like you almost can't look at them because they aren't, they're insane. It's like you don't like, he's hit, you know, he's got a 14 13 ops and he's slugging 876 in AAA right now. I, I do think the numbers he put up in AA, which were very similar numbers he did last year, where he's hitting around 320 with a, you know, 390 on base and a 520 slugging percentage. I think that's a realistic expectation for him, but like his month in AAA has jacked his overall numbers up this year to, to 350, 420, 620, and he's good. I don't think he's quite that good. I think that's fair. Um, you know, and yes, we, I feel like it's like every podcast, we throw some grains of salt uh, in the AAA numbers. But the fact of the matter is that he moved up a level and he's, 21 and he's still producing um so sure the numbers are skewed 
but that's always a good sign. So I, I think that he has outstripped his the initial expectations. Um, you know, especially him coming out of the draft, we all knew that he was good. Um, I don't know that we knew that he was this good. You never know what kind of steps forward guys are going to make. You don't know how they're going to grow physically. Uh, his makeup is off the charts. His understanding of hitting is crazy. Is one, one of the most fun things that I did uh, the, in our spring training coverage. Is we started to try to do these um, kind of instructional videos, and he broke down what he was doing hitting wise and how he had changed. And he talked like a, a 15 year veteran uh, or a hitting coach. It was unbelievable. And it was just so enjoyable to talk hitting with him. And then added to the fact that, Oh, he can really run and defend. Uh, he is, you know, it, it's not difficult to understand why the Dodgers did not want to, uh, did not want to trade him at the deadline and, you're welcome for the segue, Jordan. Yes, you, you're doing my job for me there. I appreciate that, uh, Jonathan. Yes, because Lux did not move, and and he does not sound like a guy that you would want to trade for anybody, let alone uh, a relief pitcher. So, But let's talk about some, some prospects that were traded. Uh, our colleague Mike Rosenbaum has a great article on Pipeline right now ranking all 32 prospects uh, that were traded at the deadline, uh, all the way from the top at Mr. Taylor Trammell, one of, uh, of course, Pipeline favorite, uh, all the way down to Thomas Hatch from the Cubs to the Blue Jays. So uh, let's let's start at the top. Taylor Trammell uh, getting dealt. I know, Jonathan, I got to talk to you a little bit about right right when that trade went down uh, on, on changeup. Uh, but but let's let's talk about, we'll, we'll start with Trammell. And, and Jonathan, uh, again, uh, is are, are we surprised that the, the, the Reds soured uh, on, on Trammell? Or was this a situation where that's just the cost to get a guy like Bauer? And uh, do, where do we see Trammell fitting uh, in the Padres' plan? They're treasure trove of prospects. <laughs> right. I, I don't... I don't necessarily see it as the Reds souring on him. Yes, he, he's not had a very good year. Um, you know, so maybe the, the his stock or his star has faded the tiniest bit. So he went from being a guy that may have seemed to be untouchable to someone you're willing to trade. Uh, that said, I still find it a little surprising that he was sent somewhere uh, to bring in a big league player, you know, the NL Central's wide open and, and, you know, the Reds clearly think that there's a window for them to try to compete. So, okay. Um, also surprising that the Padres would trade away a guy like Fran Mil Reyes and, and bring in a guy like Trammell, but okay. Uh, you know, here's one of the things that, that I, I, I feel about Taylor Trammell. When he was drafted, he was a multi-sport guy. He could have played football in college and there was an expectation, like there often is, that he would be raw. And it might take him a while to figure things out because he'd not focused on baseball. And that often happens with these really kind of tools, the athletic guys who play multiple sports. Then he goes out and has a really good pro debut, sort of changes the bar. Goes straight to full, se uh, full season Midwest League to, to start his first full year in 2017 and is really, really good there. Clearly, we had uh, underappreciated or underevaluated his feel for the game, his baseball IQ, all those things. And so he set the bar much higher. His last two years after that have not been as good, at least in terms of, of the numbers and the performance. Um, 
they weren't bad last year. And obviously he put on a show in the, in the futures game and he showed off some, some fun tools. He's an exciting guy. His makeup is off the charts, uh, you know, this year, but I, I feel like maybe people have forgotten that he's only 21 and he's in double a, he could repeat double a next year and still be, you know, ahead of the curve age wise. Like I, I, I think that because he set the bar so high initially, uh, there, the second he slows down, I don't even say stalls. I don't, I, you know, it slows down. Then there's this, uh, tendency to say, oh my God, well, what's wrong with him? He's clearly not as good as people think. Um, I think he's going to be just fine. He's, he's going to end up playing center field for the, for the San Diego Padres, uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah, and it's funny, Jonathan. I did a, a radio show in San Diego, and the host was a little up in arms, like, oh, what are we doing? We're trading big leaguers. We're getting another prospect. He's not having that great a year. And I, I think with, with prospects in this, you know, age of, you know, it's the damn millennials, Jonathan. But no, it's uh, this, this age of everybody wanting instant gratification, and, and everybody wants their prospects to dominate at every level and, and rush to the big leagues. People forget development is not linear. You don't just get incrementally better every year. And then all of a sudden you're starting the big leagues. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, you know, so anyway, they, they, when I did the show, they were like, you know, explain, you know, what do you think the potters are thinking? I said, well, what I think they were thinking is that during the off season, if you offered Fran Mel Reyes and Logan Allen for Taylor Trammell, the Reds would have told you no. They, they wouldn't make that trade. And I think A.J. Preller, the, the GM, is very aggressive in pursuing high-ceiling talent. And I think, to be honest, that he bought a little bit low. Not that the Reds were down on Trammell. You know, they, they wanted to get Trevor Bauer. But I think he bought a little bit low on Trammell. And I think he sold high on, on Reyes and maybe Logan Allen. I mean, Framil Reyes, fun guy to watch, huge power. Honestly, the guy's a DH. He's not in a corner outfielder, really. And I, the Potters, obviously, nationally team. They haven't adopted the DH. They have another guy very similar to that in Josh Naylor. They have a bunch of corner outfielders like that, and they didn't have a center fielder. And, and I do like Logan Allen. I'm not too worried about his struggles in AAA and, and the big leagues this year. He's still young, and he can pitch. But Logan Allen is more of a polish over big-time stuff guy. And the Potters have a million pitching prospects. And they have, you know, Eric Lauer in the big leagues is, you know, what you maybe hope Logan Allen can become a little bit better than that. And you have, you know, obviously my love for Mackenzie Gore. You have lefties with bigger stuff in the minors. And they traded, you know, surplus talent to get a possible premier talent. So I, it's, I thought it was an interesting move. I, that's one of those trades where you can look at what all three teams did and understand exactly what they were trying to do. I will also say, in fairness to the the somewhat angry Padres fan, they do currently have younger than Taylor Trammell, Fernando Tatis Jr., <laughs> dominating the big leagues. So uh, they might have a little bit of a skewed uh, view of, of age and prospect and, and success there. Uh, let's move to another uh, big trade that did not necessarily happen, you know, minutes before uh, the deadline or even even an hour before the deadline, but a few, a few, a few days uh, before, which was Marcus Stroman going from the Blue Jays to the New York Mets, which uh, I definitely surprised some people. Uh, they got two pitching prospects back, Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods-Richardson. Is this light? Is this about what you would expect for Stroman? Um, Jonathan, were you surprised that they couldn't get uh, more for him? And what do you think of Kay and Woods-Richardson? I was extremely surprised that they couldn't get more. Uh, and I do know, you know, in talking to uh, some executives from some teams that were sort of in the market in terms of 
selling starting pitching, that they were um, perturbed, I guess, would be the right word, yeah, because they felt that, you know, one, uh, that set the, the market, and two, then the Mets sort of controlled the starting pitching because at the time, uh, no one knew what they were going to do with Marcus Stroman and or they were looking to trade Noah Syndergaard, Zach Wheeler. So the, the, there was some concern there. I would have thought, given the year Stroman was having, given you know the years you know the control all the different things age that they would have been able to get more uh, now that said they did get two solid pitching prospects um anthony k was on our top 100 at, at a point this this year dropped off uh, in the re-rank mostly just because we you know some at, you know the draftees all those kinds of things he's not an elite level guy uh you know, maybe he's a number three type starter if, if it continues to, to click for him. And, and Simeon Woods Richardson, listen, we may look back a few years from now and Woods Richardson will be the better pitcher in that deal. He'll make some jumps forward. He's kind of that prototypical athletic high school right-hander who is still very far away. So we have to wait and see. There's a lot to like about him, uh, but it's too soon to, to know for sure. But I, I, at the time, I... I didn't really understand the trade. Um, I mean, I, Jim and I were talking about this beforehand, and I, and I think he's right where we sort of put the Reds and the Mets in the same. We sort of are kind of trying to compete now-ish boat, um, you know, without them going like too nuts by buying too much, you know, too many players. But this weird combination of, teams that haven't played very well this year, but aren't that far out of contention that they felt, you know, it wasn't worth taking a shot. You know, the Blue Jays, I I agree with what you just said, Jonathan. I I thought they could have gotten more. I mean, I do like Kay and Woods Richardson. I I just would have thought you would have gotten maybe a a bigger centerpiece prospect. So while I'm a little confused, the Mets play this path of, trading away most of their best prospects and kind of only pseudo contending. Um, I understand getting Stroman like for that cost. Cause you can always trade Stroman next year and recoup prospects, you know, cause you control him for next year. I don't really understand what the blue Jays were doing at all. Leaning up to the deadline. I, to me, if that was the best you could get for Marcus Stroman, why not wait till the off season um, right. and do that. But then even more inexplicable, I don't understand at all. Well, I'll back up first. David Phelps, I mean, David Phelps is useful. He's not like a star pitcher by any means. I do our Cubs prospect list. I'm not really sure, like, Tom Hatch, like, to be a little bit mean, like, what's the point? Like, like you can get Tom Hatch's or sign those guys as minor league free agents. I, I don't understand – like, that's the guy you get, you know, for, for trading David Phelps. But then, you know, Aaron Sanchez, who I, I don't think I'm – I know I'm not the only person thinks that Aaron Sanchez might just be a force for the Astros. And Joe Biagini, you know, and Cal Stevenson, who's a decent, you know, prospect. You trade those guys to the Astros, like, seconds before the deadline, and you get Derek Fisher. And honestly, I was asking – like, I do our Astros list, so I was trying to figure out, okay, who am I going to have to replace on the Astros list after that in the Granke trade? And I remember asking a guy I know who works for Astros, I'm like, who else did you guys give up besides Derek Fisher in that trade? And he said, no, it's just Fisher. And I was like, what? Like, wait, what? Like, like I, Derek Fisher intrigues me, but I'm sorry. 
you know, Derek Fisher hasn't hit at all in the big leagues. He's redundant in Houston, which doesn't make him less valuable other teams. But like Aaron Sanchez and Joe B. Genie had real value and you trade him straight up you know, along with an outfield, you know, a minor outfield prospect for Derek Fisher. And, and then your GM goes out and trumps. I think well, we traded 14 years of control for 42 years of control. Okay, but doesn't talent matter too? Like th- th- that might have been the most baffling trade of all to me yesterday. I, and so I don't like the Blue Jays. I, I I don't know what they're doing here at the deadline. I, I didn't. I didn't. I, I thought they didn't. I thought both those trades they got a lot less than they should have for 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 real assets. Yeah, I I agree. That was definitely the one where I was waiting to see that there was more to it, and it just never quite. Uh... Never quite showed up there, uh, so that was a little bit, a little bit strange. Um, I wanted to ask about. I want to do a few more, uh, more rapid fire type things. I don't know if I'm capable of rapid fire, but I'll do my best. That's very, <laughs> very, very fair point. I love the self awareness right there. You got to self scout, you know. So. <laughs> very good, very good, very good self awareness indeed. Uh, so Mike has, has ranked our, our 32 prospect trade at the deadline. Uh, now I don't know. I, I'm sure you guys vaguely agree uh, with with these rankings, but I want each of you guys to pick someone outside of the top 15 that if, if, if you were running a team, you would, you would most like to acquire. Maybe it is someone at the top. I don't, I don't know how you – but we'll just pick someone outside of the top 15 uh, or eh, should, should, I let, should I say outside of the top 10? I feel like 15, it, it feels like there's more of a drop-off. But, you know, I'll, I'll keep it to 15. I'm staying strict, Jonathan, like I should have been more before with Jim. Top, outside of the top 15 on, on Mike's list that each of you guys uh, uh, do like and, and could see contributing at the big league level sometime soon or, or, or at, at any point. Uh, Jonathan, I'll, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. I'll start with you. I get to go first. Um, yeah. Well, then I'm going to go right to number 16. There you go. Because um, that's easy. Uh, but I do like Lewin Diaz, um, who the Marlins got from the Twins in the Sergio Romo trade. Uh, and Diaz was a guy who had been, at one point, you know, in, in the past, fairly high up on the Twins list, then had an absolutely disastrous 2018 and he dropped off the list i just added him and underranked him um honestly just because sometimes uh, this is just what happens when you have a replacement and we just re-ranked it like i couldn't suddenly like well here's a guy i forgot uh, and, and jim uh, on the marlins just moved him up he can really hit and he's got some serious power uh, i think that was like a very kind of sneaky good trade for their for the marlins who overall i thought had a very very good deadline period in terms of of the return that they got so diaz would be the guy i would pick yeah it's interesting i mean i'll i'll, I'll keep my I, I won't go super long here but i was going to echo your thoughts on the marlins who it seems like the more trades they make the better they get at making them um so i was impressed and i i also would have gone with diaz but i will i will bring up a guy who went in the other direction on that trade as a, as a super interesting guy to watch that I think probably a lot of fans are not aware of. And in that deal, it was interesting because to get Diaz, the Marlins just didn't give up a, a big leaguer in Sergio Romo, but they also gave up a guy who was on our Marlins top 30 prospect list to Chris Valmont, and I think also a player to be named later. So it was kind of weird that you trade a big leaguer and two minor leaguers to get a better minor leaguer. But all that said, Valmont's really interesting. He was a uh, he's not he's not a Division three guy for you, Jordan, but he's a Division two guy. He you know led D two uh, strikeouts per nine innings in his draft year, sixteen point five uh, at Mercyhurst was a fifth round pick in two thousand eighteen, and he's ninety two ninety six. He's got a sweeping slider. 
He's got a ton of strikeouts. He's already jumped to high class A, and he's throwing more strikes there. So Chris Valamont, who was kind of a footnote here at the trade deadline, could be a sneaky good acquisition for the the twins in that trade so it's it's weird you know you had so many trades jonathan and jordan where i could definitely see what both sides were doing like okay that makes sense and then you had trades where i was just puzzled um but you know i I guess that's that's the nature of the business that is the nature of the business and i will say uh i i like the d2 guys too I, i i remember when i saw he got picked i i i sent a message to uh dan altavilla who another another mercyhurst um, alum, and he said, "Yeah, this this Valmont kid is legit." Lou Trevino, also out of the same uh, Division Two Pennsylvania Sports Athletic Conference. So, I'm I'm on I'm on the D two train too. I don't think I'm not on on Chris Valmont. Uh, all right, uh, well, guys, this has been this is remarkable. We could go on trades all day long, but we have to get to our great interview that Jonathan did with Cardinals uh, top prospect Dylan Carlson, who did not get traded, thankfully. Thankfully, very, very conveniently. Uh, Jim and Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us and enjoy this interview with Dylan Carlson. We'll talk to you guys next week. We're thrilled to welcome into the podcast this week, Dylan Carlson, the fine prospect from the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Dylan, thank you for taking some some time out to, to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Um, I want to get to a whole lot of things, but I thought we'd start sort of uh, at the beginning in terms of your draft year. Uh, and I guess since I'm the one who does California for our draft coverage, I feel like I owe you an apology because I think I just completely whiffed on you coming out of high school. Um, you know, I'm, I don't think I was alone, but I went back to look and I was like, wait, what, how did I miss this? And I remember when you went in the first round, it was, it was a bit of a surprise to, to a lot of people. Do you look back at, at that time and think that maybe you were, underappreciated as a draft prospect? Uh, For me, you know, I just, I really never got too caught up in all the rankings and the prospect stuff. For me, it was always just about playing the game and that's how it's always been for me. So for me, I wouldn't say I was underappreciated or anything like that. So for me, I just really, like I said, I just really try to focus on the game the best I can, even now. And I just really go out there and try to give them my all every day. All right, well, good. So then I don't have to feel too bad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was clearly losing sleep over this. So, uh, you know, uh, not the first nor last time that I will, you know, miss on, on a, on a, on a guy coming out of high school. How much do you feel that, you know, growing up as a coach's son sort of shaped who you are as a player, just in terms of how you approach the game and how you go about your business on a daily basis? Oh, it definitely played a huge factor. It would, uh, definitely help mold me into the player and person I am today for me just being around the baseball field ever since you know I could really walk it was incredible for me being exposed to high level players from since ever since I picked up a bat it I think it just really helped me and helped grow my game and you know I just always felt like I knew the way things should be done just by watching the people in front of me and they really did a great job of paving the way and I owe a lot of credit to all those guys that were that played uh, in my dad's program before me. You know, they just were really all so welcoming and always, you know, looking out for me. And I felt like that really helped contribute to my game. Now, were there ever moments where the the line between coach and dad got blurred? I mean, I've coached my son who just graduated from high school, but <laughs> not at a high level of high school. And, you know, it, it was easier to let that line get blurred 
uh, but it, I can imagine that could be confusing. How did you guys manage to navigate that? Absolutely. Uh, so early on when I was younger, probably freshman year, sophomore year, it was a little bit more difficult. You kind of take things a lot more personal and it just, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, I mean, you're with, you're with your parents all day long when you go home and then I'm at, at the field with them all day long. So it's like, you know, you never got space away from them, but luckily for me, my dad's like my best friend. So it was always, it was always great once we got past the point where I quit taking everything so personal. So I'd probably say those next two years, my junior year and senior year, I really, we were really able to find the fine, fine line between coach and dad. And I always knew he had my best interest at heart. You know, you're out there playing in high school with scouts at the game and you don't do something right. It's easy for him to jump all over you because he just wants you to do well. But at the end of the day, it was all out of love. And like, like I said, I owe a lot of credit to that program and my dad. Well, one of the things that, you know, I find impressive, I think the sort of automatic assumption is, you know, your dad's a coach of the high school program. He wants you to play baseball 365 days a year, but you, you played all the sports uh, for, for a really long time. Uh, was that something that took some convincing or was he on board, uh, you know, in terms of you, you know, keeping your athleticism uh, at, at its height? Yeah, so for me, um, my dad, he was also a football coach at the local JC in the area. So I was also, it, it, for me, it was, it just depended on what season we were in. So if it was baseball season, I was all in on baseball. If it was football season, all in on football. Then I even played around a little bit, played some basketball, middle school years and stuff like that. So for me, I, I really enjoyed playing all the sports and my parents encouraged it. They always just thought it was great to get a healthy blend of all the different sports just instead of burning me out on one sport. And I was really thankful for that. I, I really enjoyed my childhood and playing all those different sports because I feel like it helped contribute to my athleticism in different ways and just helped me understand different different things. I had a, a guy who was a, a multi-sport athlete. I think it was Amir Garrett, a uh, pitcher with the Reds, who okay. he had been given the advice from someone else who had played multiple sports, you know, and, and Amir Garrett played basketball at St. John's. And he had been told to play as many sports as you can for as long as you can until you either get paid to do one or get sent to college to do one. It seems like pretty good advice that not a lot of people follow. That's, that's tremendous advice. That's something that, you know, you wish you see a lot more. It's uh, I, I found a lot of joy in playing other sports, and I just really think it helps contribute to your overall athleticism and understanding of the body. So I think it's really beneficial and more kids should try it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, and yeah, you know, I don't, we've been giving your dad most of the, of the love so far. Uh, I want to give you a minute to talk about your mom. Uh, I know that she's had to deal with a tremendous amount of uh, adversity in terms of illness. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how that's shaped you uh, either in terms of giving you perspective, I would imagine going over four in one game doesn't seem all that important, uh, mm -hmm. but also just in terms of uh, shaping who you are as a person off the field. Definitely. Uh, she's, been a huge inspiration in my life, a huge factor in my life. Uh, my mother, she, you know, she's dealt with her struggles. And for me, like you said, the perspective part, you know, um, you have a tough day at the field, you you have a little ache or pain, you're not going to run and tell her, hey, my legs hurt, you know, she's paralyzed, she's been in a wheelchair, you know, it, it just doesn't look good. Uh, so, you know, and she's always so positive. That's the best part about it. She's such a positive person and it really helps helps, you know, kind of, like you said, get, get a little perspective, makes, makes you realize things aren't as always, aren't as bad as you think they are. And 
it just really helps you, you know, feel, feel motivated. And it's, it's so great to have someone like that around you all the time. And, you know, from a young age, it kind of helped me grow up and realize that you know, my issues weren't as important as, you know, they, as they seemed to me at the time. And it really helped me grow as a person. And, you know, I'm really grateful and, you know, she's played a huge part in my life and I can't thank her enough. All right. Let's focus on, on baseball. Thank you for sharing that, uh, with, with us, uh, Dylan, I'm glad you had a chance to, to talk about her. I know so much is focused on, you know, what pitch did you hit in this count? And uh, it's important to remember that, uh, you guys are human beings too. So I wanted to Absolutely. make sure we talk about her. Um, so this year has been, uh, you know, for lack of a better, I think that the term breakout is, is overused. It's not like you were, a, a poor player before, but I think both in terms of the numbers and sort of your, uh, how many people know you on the sort of the national prospect stage, things that have, have, have blown up a bit, Texas league all-star uh, futures game, our top 100 uh, re-rank just came out and you've, you've gone from, I know you say you don't pay attention, but you're, you're at number 86 and uh, you're making a jump up to number 52. Uh, so pe people are paying attention, but I, you know, saw you play uh, in the in the Futures game, and you've had a little bit of time now to sort of uh, reflect on that, although that may not come until after the season. But what was that whole weekend in Cleveland like for you? It was surreal. Unbelievable experience. What an honor it was to represent the Cardinals organization. And just just to be in an event like that, it's a huge honor. And I'm really grateful. It was It was an incredible time being able to be around all those great players, all those great coaches, all the great baseball minds out there in that city at the time. It was, it was really special. I had a great time. It was a moment I'll never forget. Is it the kind of thing that you have to take a breath to like, all right, now I get it back to, to work or is it kind of a, a, a motivator, like a carrot at the end of the stick, right? This is the big league life. Now I just want to work even harder to make that what I do every day. It works both ways. Just like you said. So um, for me, it's, it's, it's encouraging being that game, being that atmosphere, and you know it gets it gets you going, it gets you excited, all that good stuff. It's it's a great experience, and then it also works the other way where you know you're trying to make it a reality every day, and it's it's motivating and you know real humbling at the same time. So it's it's something I'm really grateful for, and it was an experience I'll never forget. A couple more for you, Dylan. One thing I I wanted to ask, and I would never ask you to say anything negative about the Cardinals organization. They're run about as as well as anybody. But be honest, how happy were you to not have to hit in Palm Beach anymore? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was definitely uh, a nice stepping stone to get out of that league. But I was really grateful to be in that league. With that being said, it was um, it definitely helped me focus on the process more than the results at the time. And luckily for me, I had hitting coach by the name Brandon Allen played, played in the major leagues. He, he really helped me focus on, you know, the process opposed to just being so caught up in the results. And I'm really grateful that I was able to play in that league. Cause I feel like that really contributed to my game and, you know, me really focusing on the things I can control and, you know, help me become a better player. How many times over the course of the, well, you played about 99 games there, did you hit a ball that you sure was gone and just died because the ball doesn't travel there? Oh, it, there was, I'd probably say five to 10 times I really got a ball and thought I got it and it just didn't go. And it, it's, it's discouraging at the time. And, but like I said, you, when you start focusing on the process, knowing you just hit a ball as well as you could and, 
you know, you didn't get the result you want, but you went about the process the right way and handled yourself right, then that's what really matters at the end of the day. Absolutely. All right, I want to end with this. So Jordan Schusterman uh, from the Cespedes Barbecue uh, guys uh, ho- hosts the podcast with us normally. And as I was researching, uh, you know, to, to talk to you today, I, I, I captured, uh, you know, I, I caught some of the, the video interview that you did with him. And you made a, a startling confession regarding uh, grocery shopping. And I think that may have been the most challenging thing you faced while you were uh, at the Futures game, by the way, was answering that question. But uh, explain what, to people what, 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 you know, what, I, what, I, what I mean about this. It was, it was about opening the, the, the bags and the produce yeah. aisle. And, and what are you doing to try to, uh, to, try to get past this, this very important issue? <laughs> so the question that was asked was, what, give us something you struggle with. And I let them know. It's it's been a long time, like ever since you know you go grocery shopping with your parents, you, those little produce bags, the little plastic ones that you put your produce in, the fresh produce, and it's just I can tear it off everything, and then you go to open it, and it's just it the thing won't open for me. I promise you, I just don't understand, and it's uh <laughs> it's just something I struggle with. It takes me a little bit longer than it should, definitely. I've tried all these tricks, so, you know, you try rubbing them together, you try licking your fingers, all that good stuff, and, you know, so then sometimes you even realize you're on the wrong side of the bag, you're not even looking at the arrows, so it just, it just happens, uh, it takes me a little longer, sometimes I even got to ask for help, sometimes I just get to the point where I'm, uh, I'm buying the produce that's already prepackaged. that way I'm avoiding the issue, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's all good fun. It's something that I just, you know, they asked me something I struggled with and that was something that came to mind. Cause it's just always been something ever since I was young, my parents can confirm it. It's just, I don't know. It's something that gets me and, but it's been real funny on social media. People are reaching out to me, you know, showing me them opening bags or telling me they're in the grocery store thinking of me. It's just real fun. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. I was going to say there must be, there are probably some like how-to YouTube videos that you can. There's got to be. Can, yeah. There's got to be. Where that's why part of your off-season regimen, I think, is uh, maybe you'll be in the Arizona Fall League, and yeah, we'll uh, and uh, I'm hoping to see you out there. And I tell you what, I I'm going to make you a guarantee. If you're in the Arizona Fall League, we're going to go to the produce. If we have to go every day, Dylan, we're going to go every day until you until you master <laughs> until this I skill. Got it. Okay. Yes. Dude. Forget about hitting a hitting a curveball. Forget about it. I think they thought you were going to come up with that, or you were going to say something like, "I'm not a very good cook." That was yeah. a very, very precise and specific re- response. Yeah, it just came to me because <laughs> it was a few days before I had been struggling with it, and I, like I said, I've always struggled with it, and I don't know why. For whatever reason, I think it's at this point, it's just mental. Yeah, I think absolutely. so. I think it's just mental at this point. But um, yeah, it's just something that you know, comes up every once in a while. And it just, they asked me the question. I just, it happened a couple of days before and I was like, yeah, I need to let them know this is, this is it. <laughs> well, you know, it takes, uh, I mean, I think it takes a strong man to be able to admit a weakness like that publicly for the whole world to see. So uh, kudos <laughs> to you for that. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much uh, for, for your time today. Look forward to see how you finish up. Like I said, hopefully we'll see you in the Arizona Fall League and maybe St. Louis at some point in 2020. Thank you. I appreciate the time.